Our scripture reading today is Luke 10, 38 through 42. I'll be reading from the King James Version. Now it came to pass, as they went, that they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received them unto her house. And she had a sister named Mary, which also sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we were able to um, come safely here today. We pray for Matt, that you would give him wisdom of what to say, and we pray that you would open the hearts of everyone here um, to your message. Amen. So, good morning. Uh, as Paul said, my name is Matt McGann. Uh, I'm so glad to be worshiping with you. What's happening? Um, this morning, my wife and I, so wife Bridget, son Shepard, uh, who's eating a banana right now, it's wonderful. Um, but they're here with me, and we've certainly enjoyed our time in Spokane. Um, I'm sure it's white and snowy all year round, so we've certainly enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, you've been so welcoming. It's been a great joy to be around a lot of you this weekend. Um, anywho, so let's get going today. Um, go ahead and open your Bibles back to uh, Luke chapter 10. Um, so it's, for those new to the Bible, it's three-fourths of the way through the Bible. The third book in the New Testament, uh, just after Mark before John. Um, so while you're turning there, I'll explain a couple things. If you're new to Berean Bible Church, um, the church has been going through a series on the life of Jesus, and I'm actually going to go out of order some. I'm skipping ahead a bit to go to Luke 10 um, to talk about Jesus' inter interaction with Martha and Mary, uh, but Pastor Paul, like you said earlier, said I can preach on whatever's on my heart and what I've been learning, so he gave me the okay to skip ahead a bit and spoil some things, um, so that's what we're doing, and the truth here in this passage has really been hitting me like a punch to the gut, um, so I'm really excited to share what I've been learning. Um, for context, Jesus and the disciples have been traveling, um, and they're just about to enter the town of Bethany, and he just told the parable of the Good Samaritan, and is now about to hang out with some folks at Martha's house. Uh, Martha and her family, they show up a few times in the Gospels, um, and they're great examples of followers of the way of Jesus. All right, so let's go ahead and read the text again. It's a short one, so we don't have any problems rereading the Bible a bunch of times, um, but, and if it helps you, I'm reading from the ESV, so it's a little different than the one we just heard, uh, but I'm starting again in 10, uh, 38, Luke 10, 38. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning, for this wonderful church, for a wonderful word, and for everything else you've blessed us with. Um, we're in awe of how you've created this world and how you've blessed us with so many things, even the struggles. Um, you're beyond us, and that's comforting knowing that I can't create a God like you, because then you wouldn't be the God of the universe that you are. Um, speak to us today, to me, to this great church, uh, despite me, like you always do. Um, yeah, we're just looking forward to how you're going to teach us this morning. Amen. So I want to tell you a little bit about mine and Bridget's engagement story. It's a super cute one, of course, um, but it's also got a little bit of a tragic learning point to it. Um, so we were engaged in Galveston, Texas, which is a beach town south of Houston, Texas, and it's not the prettiest beach town because it's in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, but it was good to us, and it was a big part of our history as we were dating. And we were both attending Texas A&M University at the time. I was hoping for some whoops. I guess there's no Aggies in here. Um, um, but so at the time, we drove three hours to get there, um, and we, this was a, a big day. We had been planning this date day for a while, and I had to postpone it a couple times uh, because the company I was having her engagement ring custom made through a... We had some miscommunication, mainly being that the guy that I was working with to custom make this ring quit working there while we were talking. So, so Bridget was already kind of like, she knew that we were going to get engaged at some point, and she like, I kept postponing this day, so she kind of knew, and it was kind of weird. But anyways, so we made our way to Galveston, and we immediately went to a lunch at her favorite Greek restaurant there, because she just loved the hummus wraps there. Um, then we went to the beach. We made sandcastles, because that's my wife, and uh, I had purchased some little dragon figurines to make the little castles all that much more awesome. Um, and then we walked around some shops and eventually made our way to a candlelit, fancy, nice dinner spot. Um, and then we walked along the beach uh, at sunset, because we were a romantic couple, and we walked down a jetty, where I told her a bunch of cutesy, lovey stuff. Um, I'll spare you that. And then I got down... <laughs> on one knee, and I asked to be my wife. Um, then we drove back to my house in College Station, and where I had orchestrated for basically all of her friends and family to be there to celebrate this as like a big surprise party for her. Um, and then we changed our relationship status on Facebook, and that's the cute part. Um, the part that doesn't come up too often when we share this story is that I made this day for her, but it wasn't necessarily about her. And I'll explain that. So I had an itinerary for the day because we had to make this party and we were three hours away. So I was, it kind of felt rushed at points. We we're trying to make it to certain points of the date. Um, I was texting all throughout dinner because my twin brother was there and I was trying to make sure he could take pictures while like hiding in the shadows <laughs> at the beach. Um, and also during that beach walk, I actually never faced her because I had this giant ring box in my pocket, which side tangent, like engagement ring companies, I don't, I don't know why you make these boxes so, so huge, like as you know, some of us are being secretive about them. So like there I am with this three inch box in my pocket, she's next to me, and like I couldn't face her because she would see that there's a ring there. But, um, so yeah, on the way, after I proposed, on the way home, I told her not to text her friends, uh, to be present with me like a hypocrite because I wanted her to be a big part of that surprise. Um, so in my effort to love Bridget well, I really wasn't spending the day with her. 
and I was distracted and hyper-focused and stressed about the events of the day so I could have her see and feel how much I loved her. So you could say I missed the point a little bit for that day. <laughs> so the hard truth is that some of this missing the point is definitely still present in my marriage. And the hard truth is that missing the point is present in Martha's story here with Jesus. And unfortunately, this hard truth is present in the life of a Christian disciple. So these five verses at first glance, they seem like a story of sibling frustration. But in actuality, it's a, it's a tale of the necessity of prioritizing the word of God in active service of God. So it's also easy to see this story as one of holding a life of con contemplation above action. And that's another way to allegorize, allegorize the story incorrectly. So the teaching of Jesus was dramatically actualized in both of these noble and excellent women. So this morning, we're going to dig into this little short event. And we're going to discuss Mary's posture of adoration. We're going to move on to Martha's distraction and her skewed priorities and then we're going to see how lo Jesus' loving rebuke gives us hope. So let's set the scene. Martha and Mary are home. They see Jesus and his many followers approaching, and Martha goes full type A. And she thinks she, need, she needs Jesus, that Jesus needs his good meal and a comfortable home, because he's been on these long journeys and needs a rest. Um, so she seems to have the gift, gift of hospitality and service. She starts setting the house. She starts laboring hard, uh, went to get some produce and food, makes some beds, scrubs all the tables because dust is off-putting, and she starts baking all these fresh goodies and grabs the good wine that you save for proper occasions. So she has this stern, gotta-get-stuff-done look on her face, which I know all too well because I'm an overly organized individual. Um, but Jesus and his disciples are there now, and there's still a lot of stuff to do. And then there's Mary. Verse 39 tells us Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Her posture was one of someone intent on learning and expressed a desire. And this is a great image of passion. This is a great image of adoration and worship. And this is a great image of a disciple's awe. So when I was reading one of my commentaries on this passage... Uh, the author, Kent Hughes, used the word rapt, um, saying this was a rapt attention of the word, R-A-P-T. Uh, I've actually never heard this word before. Um, so I Googled it, and the definition was someone is completely fascinated by what one was seeing or hearing. And Merriam-Webster defines it as lifted up and carried away. And I thought this was a really cool image for describing the posture of a disciple who gets to hear the word of God from him himself. And then enters Martha. Verse 40 tells us that Martha was distracted but much serving. And she must have just gotten so frustrated with the workload and the fact that it wasn't being shared. I know this emotion because I'm a twin. Growing up as a twin meant everything was about fairness. So when we were given a Coke to share as two brothers, you better believe we were there staring at that line and two glasses to make sure we're getting an exact equal amount of Coke. 
when we were doing yard work or mending fences, uh, we hated seeing the other twin not working. Um, like if I was digging a post hole and Mason was just sitting on the ground, you better, I, was, I was complaining to my dad. Or if Mason was weed eating and I was drinking cold lemonade, my brother was complaining to my dad. So we know this. And something interesting about this idea of being distracted and frustrated is that it's another imagery of being pulled away or lifted away. So like the idea of being wrapped, having a tension like that. Think of the implication of someone that's distracted like Martha and most likely desiring to be at the feet of Jesus. But she was pulled away by her duties, lifted and dragged away. So it's like an interesting side of that, that spectrum there. So her work and her presentation of a great meal kept dragging her back to the kitchen, to the cleaning closet, and she wanted to be at the feet of Jesus in the good spot. But she might have been telling herself that true devotion lies in practicality. She might have been telling herself that she must put her duties before her own desires. So this follower of Jesus seethed. She is angry at Mary and thought she was being selfish. And on top of that, she was, she was upset with Jesus for allowing this. She might have started with some loud sighs, some glares. She might do what we do in my family, which is stomp around when someone's napping when there's work to be done. <laughs> but then she escalated to full-on blunt mode and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. She asked this accusatory rhetorical question that basically tells Jesus that he's part of the problem and he's being insensitive to her. So in this weird moment of self-righteousness, she has gone not only scolded her sister, but reproached the Lord of the universe, of which she was busy serving all day long. So she basically said, I need you to help to make my sister help my ministry. So something skewed here. So we reading this, we can read into it knowing that Jesus just wanted her company. So Martha's fellowship with him was more important than being served a meal. But she was so sure that what she was doing was what Christ needed and wanted in that moment. Does that sound familiar to you? I know you've made this leap before, unless you're better than me. Um, sometimes we subconsciously or consciously think Jesus needs our work and that he can't do all of this kingdom work, church service, evangelism, neighborly love without us. Maybe a pastor wonders how quickly a church would crumble if he wasn't leading it. Or a church member imagines how quickly a church could double in size if he was leading it. Uh-oh. More laughter than I thought was going to happen. Um, or maybe an elder thinking that nothing would get done if they resigned their post. Or an evangelist in the crowd imagines that not a single conversion would happen if they weren't out preaching the gospel. Or a kid's ministry volunteer thinking that no one in the church would raise their kids in the gospel if they weren't out talking to all the parents. So please hear me when I say I'm not telling you to to not take your work seriously. 
I'm not saying that your sense of responsibility is misplaced. I'm merely saying that an attitude of being indispensable to the kingdom work in Christ program is just ridiculous. It's only by the grace of God that we get to serve him. He is the author of all history, the God of the universe, sustainer of creation, and he does quite well without us. So take your work seriously, just don't take yourself so seriously. So we can disfigure our sense of service when we overestimate our importance and our significance. Something else we see in Martha's actions is that she was attempting to force her sister to serve Christ in her way. So thinking, stop spending time learning, consuming, growing, admiring, and get in here and start doing. In her thinking, she was doing what was just more important. And this kind of tunnel vision is not so uncommon today. This could start small and just be like a preference thing. Like your preference in church style is best. Your preference in volunteer workload is best. Or your preference in attire you wear to church is best. Or even it's better to prefer a preacher like Paul that barely looks at his notes and goes from this side of the stage to that side of the stage. (laughs) Maybe hops on this monitor. You're probably thinking, Matt, you're trying to join this community, like you're making fun of the lead pastor. (laughs) Yes, I am. Uh, It's fine. Uh, But anyways, uh, or you... You don't prefer a preacher like Matt that stays right here in this general region, and I like my reliable reliable stability of my notes, so that's fine. But this small way of tunnel vision can appear like this, but let's give an example that might hurt. The way I do things is everything. Say you've been serving as a leader for the youth ministry. You ask Pastor Mike to make announcements about getting... <laughs> Shepherd, it's okay. <laughs> you ask Pastor Mike to make announcements about getting more volunteers and no one signs up. Anyone that is not getting involved is wrong. They don't care about students. They don't care about this church. They don't care about the mission of God. Uh, your friendships begin to diminish because you think less of them for not signing up. You get mad at the church staff because they let people get away with not serving alongside you. You you may get mad at God for putting you at a church where people don't serve. Your family relationships get strained because you let the bitterness seep in at home, and it gets hard. So we get locked into this idea that everyone should be committed to the same cause that we are committed. And if they were as good a Christian as me, then they would be living like me. If they had it together spiritually and figured out this whole gospel living like I have, then they would be doing what I'm doing. And this affects so much. I mean, Martha couldn't even be happy for her sister for choosing such an awesome position at the feet of the Lord Jesus. She was in awe, but Martha couldn't be happy for her. And Ken Hughes says in his commentary that Martha's attitude, if left unchecked, can destroy the inner soul of service. 
Wow. Like, think about that. Like, who or what is it that we are serving? Why are we doing this? So, like, Martha's self-appointed sense of responsibility got her distracted. And it got her distracted from what truly matters. And we all do this. We impose these necessities in ministry. And then these choke us up to the point where serving feels obligatory and it starts to drag on. And once again, I'm not saying serving is wrong, nor is serving well. But there's a perspective shift needed when it comes to the reason and the priorities in line. And Jesus saw this here. And that's when he lovingly rebuked Martha. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The first thing to note in this correction is that Jesus loved Martha. He affectionately repeated her name before continuing the chide. Martha, Martha. He could have started yelling. He could have made fun of her. He could have ignored her and thought she was overreacting. But instead, he genuinely wanted her to know the truth and follow him like a good father would. He wanted her to know the one thing that matters, and that's him. We know the word is God. His teachings are a revelation of himself. And he wanted her to know this good portion, to listen, since these truths are foundational and transformational. This seems simple, but the highest priority for those of us considering ourselves followers of God is to listen to him. And another interestingly ironic consideration here is it's not all too common that it is all too common and easy for our service to, of the kingdom to pull us away from the word of God. Ministers of, go- ministers of the gospel, which includes all of us, sometimes often admit that the word sometimes just isn't central to our lives. It's not part of our devotionals or our ministries, and the reason is that we just get too busy. But in my researching of Korean Bible Church, I can tell that the word is incredibly important here. Um, that's one of the things that drew me to this. So I may be preaching to the choir in this, um, but reminders about the word are never out of place. We all need to hear this over and over again. So think about the finished carpenter or the contractor that makes homes beautiful. They add the crown molding that really just completes and wraps up a living room. For somebody, they create the master bathroom suite that someone's been desiring their whole life. And then you go to their personal home and see that it looks like something out of the Great Depression. (laughs) It's because they're too busy building everyone else's dreams and taking care of other people's homes that they neglect their own. Christians can get so busy and they let these interests so dominate our lives that we have little time to let God's wonderful word speak to us. And when this happens, without the benefit of the word in our lives, we can adopt a mindset of narrowness, fault-finding, judgmental tendencies, 
And from here, service can lose its creativity, its life, its vitality, its energy, all they once had, making our ministry sour. And we walk up to the edge of forgetting that one thing. So life is short. It doesn't automatically arrange or sort itself into good and proper priority structures. Amidst all the thousands of duties and worries we have in life, we must be sitting at the feet of Jesus and make that our good portion. That is the primary focus of our hearts and lives because all things flow from this. So don't hate Martha for her decisions here. She made a bad decision. But she's a child of God. She's an heir of the kingdom. And we also know her story later on with her brother Lazarus and that things get better with her relationship with the one thing. So this Life of Jesus sermon series that we're in might include that passage later on, so I'm not going to spoil it, even though you probably read it. Um, but Martha, still being her blunt self, sees the power of Jesus and runs to him in belief during that portion of their story. So it's easy to look at this text and go a different way with this. Some can read this as an either-or setup. Like, be like Mary, don't be like Martha. Become a monastic monk and make your life contemplative and never out doing anything. Some can read this as a blend and say we need both, that Martha did nothing wrong, that you need to be super active and also learning, um, which Jesus makes it clear that that's not the road either with his rebuke of Martha. So it's weird to put a dichotomy here. It's not an either-or situation. And rarely is it that in life. I once heard a prolific Christian thinker and author say that he's done going to Bible studies. He only goes to Bible doings. And I thought that was a cool sentiment, but it's off. Like you've mastered the Bible so well that you no longer need to look at it. And you've moved on to only doing. No. So much of this morning's lesson, like much of this morning's lesson, he's missing the point and making this an either-or situation. This is about making our actions rooted in God's word. This involves actually and actively listening to the word when it's preached by friends, family, church, and reading it ourselves to make it the anchor of our lives. And this naturally leads to action. It overflows because the active word of God is transformational. So it's not behavior modification. This isn't read the word, then go serve. This isn't read the Bible a certain way. Because the word, the gospel, the Lord, they all change us. And we have no choice what to do once it makes us new. We love and serve our Lord. So the church is full of the rigid type A folks like me the ones that get to a hard-driving, process-oriented ministry mindset. And we can definitely make this into a behavior modification scenario. But the question here is, in your heart, are you holding to that which is the good portion? The integrating center that gives vision and holistic purpose to all of your service. So let's think about Mary's posture for a second. She's at the Lord's feet in adoration, in awe. 
She doesn't fully know it here, despite Jesus' clarity about his path involving a major sacrifice. Uh, but this Jesus is going to save her. She probably felt something real like this, and that's why she was captivated by him. So for us, do we have this awe? Do you look at Jesus and the good news of what he did and sit amazed? He was born on earth for you. He was born in a lowly manger covered in dirt. He went through human birth in a place meant for animal feed. And he lived on this earth for you. He taught ignorant disciples like you and I. He lived for and taught them patiently despite the agony of it. He still had to go lower still. He endured the cross for you. He saw and knew your sin. He knows your ugliness and your dirt. He saw how you'd fail daily again and again. And he said he was willing and wanting to make you his. He wasn't satisfied with us as slaves underneath the table begging for the scraps in life, even though we were. He took us in. He saw a life for us that involved being heirs of his kingdom. He saw a life of us being his beloved children. He then went to the cross. He took all of our iniquities and put them on himself willingly to make us new. He took the punishment due us. And he in his mercy took the most painful experience that was ours to take. And then sinners like us they beat him in his face, they mocked him, they spit on him, they made him crawl to the side of his death, and they hung him on a cross. And he went lower still. He died and was placed into earth in a burial like a seed. And like a seed, he pushed through that earth to return. His resurrection, his ascension was for you. He came back to life for you, knowing that because of it, we can join him in resurrection and eternity. We get to walk up to the throne justified, lay down our false crowns at his feet, and be in his presence forever. Does that not put you in awe? Does that not put you in a posture like Mary's? Because once that sinks in, it changes you. And our king wants this for all of us. Berean Bible Church wants this for us. I want this for you, deeply. And if you're not a believer in here today, and this message just kind of hits you in the gut, don't leave without talking to somebody. Talk to me, talk to Paul, talk to the elders, talk to the person that brought you here, talk to the stranger next to you, make a relationship and talk about this because it's serious. And this leads to a life of devotion. So that's what the good news of God does. This book is special. It's, this whole book, even of Luke, is about devotion. So like, this, like I said earlier, the story that precedes this is the Good Samaritan story. Most of us know this story. It's, uh, you know, a man is robbed, left for dead, and a priest and a Levite both separately walk by this person and keep going on to their kingdom work. And then a Samaritan walks up and has compassion, treats the man, takes him to an inn, and lets him heal. So in this story about someone that did, as God said, and it was jarring because the one that followed Jesus' teaching was a Samaritan, which at that time was racially different and unclean. 
It was a racist situation. And just like this story of Mary and Martha, this is also jarring because it was a story of women sitting at the feet of Jesus when women weren't allowed to sit at men's feet like this. So these jarring elements of this tale help people like us pay attention because to pay attention to what's most important, which is Jesus here. So one of these stories is about doing. One of these stories is about learning. So what can we do? What can we glean from this? So like our service is best couched in the context of being with God. So we, as disciples, are to make sitting at the feet of Jesus a priority. We, as disciples, see the Lord, see Jesus as Lord. We don't see ourselves as Lord. So think of two gardeners. They're each making a flower bed. The first one makes a garden in such perfect rows. The gardener creates the perfect atmosphere for the growth of these plants. The watering's on schedule. The soil is correctly laid and bought in bags that say nutrient-rich. And then the gardener sees some beautiful flowers growing outside of the rows. And these flowers are wonderful. The second gardener neglects the garden. They know they should probably sow some seeds, but they don't, even though that's the main step. They pray for harvest, but they go on doing whatever they want to do, and then eventually think of themselves as failures, because the garden is overgrown with weeds. And this person walks away. But then later, they muster up the courage to return to the garden to find that plants have sprouted. And these plants are wonderful. So what do you see in this? God is the gardener. He is the focus and heart behind the garden. It's his garden. The fruit is his. You can do what you see fit, but the results are from him. So this is about coming to him and seeing that the garden was ripe with redemption the whole time before you even began. So I want you to walk away this morning with this. A major feature of discipleship is choosing to order one's affairs properly. The word of God is so good and is our foundation when we live for the gospel. Don't miss that. Life on this side of heaven has its ways of making this world all-consuming. Much of our lives become about fulfilling all the demands of this world and we sow water and worry. The harvest in eternity will always be there. And the word, the good portion, the one thing in life won't be taken away from us. And the duties and worries in this life should never prevent us from consuming God's word. So this week and going forward, consume the word. When you read the Bible, don't take your own thoughts to it beyond the truth of the gospel. Sit at the Lord's feet in awe and consume his teaching because there's no more important meal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning again. Thank you for taking us in as heirs. Thank you for being a good father that listens to us complain and still sees us as his wonderful children and wants our lives to be better. Help us to make our lives about you Forgive us for all the ways that we've considered ourselves kings and queens when you are the true one king. 
We love you so much. And we want this week, this month, this year, this lifetime to be yours. And we are in complete dependence on you for that. There's no other way this happens beyond your grace and mercy. And we're so thankful for how beautiful this task is. Thank you for this morning. And be with us as we continue to worship. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Uh, before we close, uh, it occurred to me I wanted to mention something uh, I told you already. We would love for you to stay for our grow hour afterward. I recognize, though, some of you might be unable to stay, and we understand that. We do want to hear from you. Uh, and so uh, to begin with, if you are a member of our search committee here at Berean, or if you are a member of our board of elders, or if you're a member of our staff, will you just stand up? Okay, now, there we go. Um, talk to any of these people standing. You can email them. You can call them on the phone. You can go talk to them this morning. We also have for you uh, some sheets in the entryway. There's a table set up out there. There are some pieces of paper. They are purple. There are pens out there and a box. Uh, we'd love to have your feedback and to hear from you as we continue to make this decision. Uh, we are really excited about this. I'm so thankful for Matt and Bridget and Shepard being with us. Uh, Shepard is just about the cutest kid I've ever seen, and I have two of my own kids. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You are the cutest. <laughs> but really, we, we are very desirous of your feedback. And so if you're not able to stay with us, uh, please do know. Uh, you can talk to one of those people. Leave us some, some written comments. We'd love to hear those. All right?